Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. It's March 12th. This is the PFF forecast. We've got two guests today, and we're starting with uh, the prettiest one. Oh, I assume that's me. So apparently last time uh, when we had you on before the combine, people in the comments we're just like stop hitting on Mike. Oh, so I'm I get that. My line. best to keep it going. I think that I think the the one specifically said that George is thirsting for Mike. Yes, mm. is a <laughs> phrase that I, I haven't. You know, being old, I, I didn't know. Mike is the foremost uh, aficionado on what it means to be thirsting. Yeah, I, I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's the real deal. All righty, uh, practice. Everyone here is thankfully pretty healthy. We lysoled all of the mics. No one's touching. Yeah. Slice all right there. Yeah, got Randy Moss and disinfecting wipes. So uh, I want to start off by talking about a couple of things that we caught uh, a lot of flack for in uh, the analytics mock that we did. Get your take on some of the kind of bigger picture things that uh, surrounded those decisions. And that has to start, I think, at number four with the Giants. So take Henry Ruggs completely out of it for now. Just, yes. you know, assume okay. you've got your best wide receiver, whoever that is. We'll talk about those in a second. What's your um what's your feeling on going wide receiver versus top defender there? I mean, I've mocked wide receiver to them in the past when we do like the what we would do mock because I think it would it would help Daniel Jones out a lot. They don't have a guy and it's one of those things where uh you know, chips are down, you have someone that you need to beat man coverage. Do you have a guy that has it like a third down third and four? You need a guy to win a slant. I don't think they have that on the roster right now. And that is really helpful for a quarterback to know, uh, you know, when you see that, hey, this is the guy I'm probably going to go to. This is a matchup that I have that I know is going to win. That helps a lot. That The sort of value of that to a quarterback, you can't really put a, uh, you know, put a value on or you can't necessarily uh, replace or uh, what's I'm trying to think of the a word, replacement get, level yeah. receiver. Exactly. Yeah, isn't like, going to get that done for you. And it's where, a huge deal. Whereas yeah. I think where we're coming from is look at some of the top defenses. Look at the Patriots. Yeah, they clearly have some players that people deemed replaceable that were able to rush the passer for them. Yeah. Well, and at the top of the draft, you're drafting stars. And we've shown that stars aren't necessarily as important as depth. And uh, on the offensive side of the ball, that's not necessarily true, right? You have like, you have the one quarterback and all that surrounding him with poor talent does is give him excuses. And we're in the time of year where like, like last season, the Cardinals are trying to decide, do we move on from Josh Rosen? We've seen enough, right? And now, you know, Washington saying, have we seen enough of Dwayne Haskins? Do we move on? And the best thing that you can do now is find out as quickly as possible whether or not your quarterback is good so that you can make, you know, contingency plans. And with, without giving Daniel Jones, you know, as many weapons on the outside as possible, you don't do that and you give him plausible deniability. And I think that's a very good point because. I mean, as we can sit here from the outside and be objective and say they're not going to be good next year. Like they're not going to win a Super Bowl. Whatever you do in terms of moves this year isn't going to make you a Super Bowl contender. So find out what you have as like I said, as quickly as possible with your quarterback, so that you know maybe if he does hit, if he turns into you know Russell Wilson next year, if he turns into a top five quarterback, Daniel Jones, 
then you should go out and sign free agents the next year on the defense side of the ball. There will always be free agents on that on you know pass rushers. There will always be someone there that can help you out defensively. Uh, there will not be talents like you know Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs every single draft. Right. I mean, like that's the the, the worst part. So we look at the 2015 draft, and not it's not that these teams didn't put players around them, but like I think the worst thing that happened to the Titans and the Bucks is that Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota made it through their entire basically rookie contract, and. Because, you know, they wasted sort of those four years of sort of, mm-hmm. you know, what ifs and, and making excuses and all that kind of stuff. And and now they're in a they're in a stuck spot. And, you know, if you're the Giants or you're Washington or you're a team that, dra- you know, Denver, for example, that's why you mocked the wide receiver to them. You want to make sure as quickly as possible that you that you have a, a conclusion on this quarterback because you don't have that much time. Well, there's a couple of interesting things. The first is there are teams that have done it the other way around. So, you know, the Raiders got into this kind of issue where they thought they had a quarterback. It turns out maybe they didn't. They had a guy in Khalil Mack and they had to punt on him because what's the point of paying him all this money if you're trying to get from six to seven wins? Right. That doesn't help a franchise. How about this? Here's here's another way of thinking about it. In general, most in in all likelihood, Chase Young's not going to be there at four. If he's there. Does that change your opinion at all? Like how how great would Chase Young have to be, you know, for that to make any sense? I think I mean, I think I taste Chase Young over any nine quarterback in this draft still, even, you know, positional values, whatever taken into account, just because I think he is that good as a prospect head and shoulders above in terms of every other positional player. And, And I think that edge rusher. It's difficult to capture what that does when you basically can't block that guy one on one. Like it, it'll change an offense, and and one of the things I think is difficult to account for, just in purely analytics based, is play calling and how how your one on one matchup that you're losing that you know you're going to lose impacts play calling because yeah he might not rack up twelve pressures every game, uh, you know, but when there is a mismatch that is him going up against an awful right tackle, you can't call the same plays you would otherwise, and that has an impact that. You're just not going to be able to uh, sort of, you know, ever calculate in terms of uh, his play-by-play grading or that sort of thing. Don't use not, okay, not ever, but that you'll ca- well, we can. I don't think we can calculate right now in terms of that. Our friend Jason Fitzgerald made a great point. We were talking about Bosa and his effect on the Niners last year, yeah. and I think this rings true about Chase Young as well. There's also the the way the market is structured. So if you look at, for example, Saquon Barkley, and he's drafted as a running back and gets the second overall salary, he's immediately a top five paid player at the position. Yeah. Whereas you look at Nick Bosa here, he's he's paid less APY than Jabal Sheard, right? And mm-hmm. Ezekiel Alonzo, who's sort of and Jerry Hughes and Justin Houston, the guys guys that have sort of have lower tier salaries. So if edge is a need for you, right, and 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 you have the coverage resolved, right? Yeah. That's the issue is they they try to you know, teams try to make edge the cover up for everything. But if you have certain things figured out, like the Niners kind of did going into last year, then they are a cheap option as sort of in a, at a position where they can be elite relatively quickly and we're able to predict them better. What do you think Chase Young's median or mean his average outcome? If he's if he hits his average, what what kind of effect? Like, what, give me a player that he impacts the game like. So I think his average outcome, if he stays healthy, I mean, like assuming health would be, uh, that's a good question. So at least, you know, what we've seen from prime miles Garrett, I think like we've seen, he's just everything about him coming out is as good or better than miles Garrett. So, and then your, your top receiver, which is Jerry Judy, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think his average outcome is? (sighs) What's like a good receiver who's that? Maybe like, a. uh, Maybe like a Golden Tate 
oh, would be his average outcome if like things didn't go great. So like you're getting a good yeah, yeah. wide receiver, mm-hmm. not necessarily. And I think you can obviously push higher, but I think it's like your average. So then the then the question then becomes is it, what's more valuable to a team, Miles Garrett or Golden Tate? And I think that our research would suggest that Golden Tate is more valuable. The hard part is, is selling that to a fan. Like that's the hard part is that well, we always because heard. no one's going to argue that Golden Tate is a better player yeah. at his yeah. position, and that's the hard thing to strip away. Like I, it's hard for me to even think about. You watch the game and you go, "This guy's dominating. Mm-hmm. This guy's got seven catches for eighty-seven yards. Like it's a nondescript sort of thing." Whereas this guy's got two sacks and he's crushed this yeah. offensive tackle four times. And it's like it's very clear that one player is better, but value and who plays better at their position are different. Well, Let's put this on the same playing field. If you look at the 49ers, their top two picks last year, who added more value to the team? That's a good question. I mean, who would you say, Mike? I mean, I'd probably say Nick Bosa. I and, and, I, and I think I think I would say Debo Samuel because I think that offense like just I mean, he was he was picking up chunks and chunks and chunks of yards. He made the offense uh, acknowledge him when he was on the field and opened things up for Sanders and Porn and, and, and uh, Kittle. And and that's the that's the crazy thing because I think unequivocally Nick Bosa is a better player. It's not even close. Yeah. So uh, that that's really the tricky part about thinking about edge versus receiver. But then again, it, it's all about a, the 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 uh, what you have to pay too because I think you could get probably get somebody in free agency like Debo Samuel for closer to a rookie deal than you can get somebody sure. who's of the caliber of Nick Bosa. Uh, as I just talked about, there's edge players who are half the player that though, Nick though, Bosa are that you have to pay the same amount I of money should, to. I should be clear. You are not under obligation. There's no rule yeah, yeah, that yeah. says, hey, you have to go pay an edge rusher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's move on to like at, looking at the receiver specifically okay. because our, our projections love Henry Ruggs. Mm-hmm. And it was something where we – we were going to get. We thought Judy was going to be no, our number one guy. We would have mocked him to the Giants. Rugs ended up ahead of him, and we said, "Well, we can't. We can't call this a mock based on math and then yeah. punt on on this guy." So, um, first off, talk about the kind of difference between you know Judy Lamb and Rugs, and then maybe what what's where are your tiers at with wide receivers so I, I think they're all so i think it's the tier one is judy and lamb because they're just complete like they, they can do everything about the position you could po- possibly want get off the line of scrimmage run route tree at the short intermediate deep level um and and i think they're just they do a lot of things about the receiver position that you know in terms of their route running ability the way they track the ball the way they attack the ball uh, that you need to be successful in the NFL. And then I kind of put rugs almost on his own tier just below that in terms of you feel really good about what he brings to the table being effective in the NFL, but he's not, uh, we touched on this before. He's not a complete receiver and he's not necessarily, we, we touched on this when you went into the analytics, mark. he's not necessarily a complete receiver. What, do you, it, what do you mean by that? In terms of, you're not going to ask him where, well, like I said earlier, third down, you need a guy to get open, man coverage, run a slant. He might not get open. Like he, he did Christian Fulton. I mean, that was a play this year that yeah. Christian Fulton ran a slant against him. And Christian Fulton's in his hip pocket because he's not super sudden, super you know talented at the last scrimmage yet. Like that's just not his game uh, quite yet. So he's not near the route runner that those guys are. Almost a little behind him. It, it was, it was, I mean, wherever it was going to be, Christian Fulton was going to be in it because it was just, it wasn't that yeah. great of a route. So I do think that, uh, there are things, there are limitations to that, and that's not necessarily. I'd rather have the guy that can win at all levels, even if he might not be quite as good a deep threat. But like CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy were very good 
deep. Like when, when they went deep, like they are, they are talented route runners and able have enough speed to get open down the football field to where I'm not going to, I don't think it's yes. Rugs is probably better in that regard, but it's not night and day. Interesting. Does the fact that, that Judy played so much out of the slot and that it's so much easier to win in the slot, did that, it impacts it, obviously, but if you just watch him out wide and then watch him against press coverage, mm-hmm. it was almost even like better. Like yeah, he looked, was very good. It, 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 he was just deadly. I mean, the, the release he had against LaVert Hill in the Michigan game, and Michigan plays a ton of press, man. And, and, he just like, and LaVert Hill looks really good in our grades, metrics, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And, yeah, and it's like when you, and you go up against Michigan, who plays you know, a ton of press, man, he goes for over 200 yards in the bowl game. That's indicative of who he is. It's just mm-hmm. a guy you're not going to be able to stick with one-on-one. Did, was, did he test far lower than you expected because we look at one of the things that that we look at and, and weigh fairly decent you know decently that is part of the model is the athleticism mm-hmm. and henry ruggs is in i hate to use this guy because he's not this guy right but like tyreek hill that okay. cluster yeah, of yeah. athleticism whereas jerry judy is more in let's say Devonte adams but he's not mm-hmm. you know, as big but a guy but yeah. like you know you get what i'm saying the the what was it the shuttle time being yeah. awful was weird but also like everyone's shuttle time was bad True. at the combine it was just a weird year and people were just pulling out left and right so uh, i'll hold off to the pro day but he's not super he's not a guy who if you so cd lamb can break tackles judy's going to make you miss after mm-hmm. the catch he's not a guy who where his, his legs are kind of weak if you get him if you catch him you know if, if you make contact with him he's probably not going to break a tackle so he's not that kind of guy he's not like a super explosive laterally but he's just so quick, and I'm not too worried about the testing. But it was worse than I expected, we'll say. Yeah, and, and I mean, yeah, I would classify it as passable, except for that, you know, the the shuttle. But then mm-hmm. you also look at, I mean, rugs for me, it's not just the deep speed. I mean, the, you know, the four two seven, four two eight was complemented by a forty two inch vertical, which just shows explosiveness. Explosive. Yeah. It's the basketball that is what you're saying. Well, yeah, and and you look at, you know. Our our thought process about wide receivers is okay. You need to get a complete guy. You need to get a guy. I mean, I always think of like Mike Evans, even though I don't think he's complete, complete, but he's sort of that guy that does. He can go downfield. He can go underneath. He's physical. He can get behind people. And like those receivers, you're not. If you try to draft that receiver every single time, you're going to fail far more than if you take a guy like you know Rugs or I mean even Lamb and Judy are this way too. But you take a guy like that and you accentuate what they do well. You know, you look at Tyreek Hill, as, as George said, for Kansas City, he's a guy that can get contested catches, even mm-hmm. though he's not particularly big. Yeah. And it's because he always has the DB uncomfortable, right? Like, if you're worried about that deep speed, you're not going to be as good as stopping on a dime and then jumping with the guy. Like, I, I you mean, know. to be fair, I and Mike, correct if I'm wrong, one of the things that I thought in watching Ruggs was I was very surprised at his ability to do exactly that. Like, he made he some get up, yeah. very impressive That's catches good. down the field. With a receiver draped all over him. And I, I would, one of the things I think about is this is the reason we're looking for a complete receiver because we're looking at a team just void of all talent. If you put both these guys, let's say both of them went to the Chiefs, mm-hmm. like, would you then change your mind because, oh, Andy Reid is actually just going to take whatever they do best and have them do that? No, so that's the thing. It's like I assume you're going to utilize him in his best role for yeah. this ranking, and and I assume you're going to utilize Henry Ruggs. If you just stick him on the outside and that's going to be an X, like that's not going to be his best role. His best role would be sort of like Tyreek Hill, would be this chess piece that if you're moving him around, jet sweeps, that sort of thing, like defenses don't know where he's going to be, uh, and then you know take him vertical from the slot all of a sudden, and you're one-on-one with safety. So I, I think that is his best role, but even still, I'd probably lean Judy because the four-four-five. I thought he was faster than that, like the played faster than that in terms of how he – 
uh, affected defensive backs on the football field. And then the other thing of Henry Ruggs, yes, he has a deep speed, but like he wasn't productive deep though mm. at Alabama. Like he, he really wasn't. He had the fourth most deep catches on Alabama this yeah. past year. And that's kind of, yes. I mean, like you see it, like there's a unique situation there at play. It's not, it's not just any other, you know, guy who runs a four two. It's not Philip Dorsett only having a handful of deep catches at Miami. This is a little different situation, but it's still kind of like why were they why were they giving Devontae Smith the go balls and not Henry Ruggs? Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, they're just like you need to see a guy do it more to feel more comfortable. I think it's interesting that you put the tiers like that. Um, you know, with those two guys in the first, because I always think within tiers, it's like, okay, well, whatever. I mean, there's you know, the the differences are small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that you would separate Lamb and Judy, and then Rugs. What would be your third tier? So I would almost even put Chenault in that Rugs tier if, like, the health were not an issue there. Yeah. Because to me, Rugs and Chenault do two things to have like trump cards that you just know are going to translate. Rugs with the speed, ability down the football field. Chenault just after the catch is just dynamic. You're going to get the ball in his hands some way, and he's going to make plays happen after the catch. So those guys, I feel really good about doing those things. But then Chenault with the injuries. You know, they're just a lot at this point. Uh, so my tier after that would probably be Jalen Rager from TCU, T. Higgins from Clemson, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, and then Denzel Mims from Baylor is probably tier two for me. Yeah, and, and Higgins is going to be one of those. And and to your point about they, a lot of these guys haven't tested in their pro day yet. Higgins, not as great of a pro day today in terms of the like explosiveness thing, but, you know, did garner a ton of targets and a ton of air yards mm-hmm. in a Clemson offense that was very good. So there, there, he's got a lot going for him. But we had him not even go in the first round as a result of some of the some of those issues. Tell, make an argument for me about why I would take T. Higgins over Justin Jefferson. So T. Higgins offers uh, more in terms of just the size matchup potential. I think that. There's still something to that in the NFL. If you got a six four wide receiver against a five nine cornerback, that's a matchup that you can just attack and feel good about. And maybe it's not like a fade in the end zone, but maybe it's a back shoulder fade, which he was excellent at, and he has great body control. I mean, I think in terms of just their ball skills and body control, they're they're neck and neck in that regard. And I just think Higgins uh, has done it more from the outside. I think he has good enough speed to win on the outside. Uh, and I think he's just a little more physical. It's interesting. Robert. It's interesting you say that because one of the things for me with Ruggs versus Judy is Ruggs, you know, and Judy outside. did win from the outside, yeah. but Ruggs played primarily outside. Judy did a lot from the slot. And I looked then at this between Jefferson and Higgins. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I get that Justin Jefferson was in the slot all the time, but he did have some of those explosive, yeah, yeah. you know, metrics where you go, why wouldn't I be able to see this guy? you know, winning at different places on the field. And so my biggest thing is just like going back to a sophomore, he did play outside and I did not love his ability to separate there. It was just why. And obviously he develops as a player. He's older now. And, gets Joe, and so, yeah, gets the whole so like, yeah, there's, there is like people do develop. It's not something that's just writing him off. It's just yeah. what you feel more comfortable about and weighing risk. Oh, it's, it's interesting. Okay. Tears for the tackles. Okay. Tears for the tackles. I got a tier one. That's four players. And, and this is the best tackle class I've seen since we started grading tackles here, uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa and Josh Jones from Houston, four guys. And then there's kind of a tier below that I call like the wild card tier and some Kai Becton. Wow. So that's uh that's tier one and then a half. And then tier two, I'd put Ben Barch from St. John's Jack Driscoll from Auburn and Ezra Cleveland from, uh, Boise state. The Becton one is so interesting to me because that's that's like basically all measurables, right? 
So, I mean, there is on field to, to some, like he is dominant. He has dominant blocks in the run game. Like I feel good about that. Stop. There is something to him in pass pro. And there also is something to the fact that they just did not develop him or he was screwed up his first two years at Louisville. Like yeah. flipping him sides, play to play. Is you're going to suck. You're going to suck in pass so, pro. So, so isn't the, shouldn't the default be okay. Then let me, let me just kind of not over let me not over or underreact to that mm-hmm. so like not just because he was screwed up by his coaching doesn't mean he's going to be awesome doesn't mean he's going to be terrible it means i don't know mm-hmm. and wouldn't your goal be to say let me try and know more about you know who i'm picking yeah so like i look at a guy like um like an ezra cleveland like a uh jack uh driscoll guys that i mean um Jack Driscoll is so solid. Yeah. You know, oh, he's great. I love Jack Driscoll. And it's like, okay, if I'm looking at putting my offensive line together, the one thing I can't have, I can't have a disaster there. Like, that's mm-hmm. the one thing I can't have. If I get average, that's great. Well, and we know, yeah, this is another tricky thing. So we wrote about this on the website today. It was like offensive line. It's, it's again, it's about like your third most, third best blocker. Because, you know, if you have, you know, issues – in just one or two spots, like your offense is, is going to be screwed regardless of whether or not you get a Tyron Smith. Right. Yeah. And so, and then we also know our, our colleague Timo Risky wrote like, you know, tackle is a place where you, you just have that steep learning curve. <laughs> and so if you're drafting for tackle for need in 2020, like there, there, you have to consider all of those things and think about Mackay Becton. It's somebody, yeah, I think he has probably a higher probability of becoming a Tyron Smith, but he also has a higher probability of just being like a TJ Clemmings. And well, I thought you were going to use uh, your your boy that doesn't know how to use Google Maps from this off season. Oh yeah, like well, but like if you had like a if he's a Willie Beavers or a TJ Clemmings, right? And your total offense mm-hmm. is screwed, and. Like, that's why I think if you're a team like Green Bay and you you retain Balaga, that's a good pick, right? Yep. But if you're a team that needs an offensive lineman like like the Cleveland Browns, maybe somebody who's a little bit more solid with less upside is probably a better pick at this point. What, one of the things that I thought was really cool is um, in reading your write-ups in uh, the draft guide, which, by the way, everyone needs. If you don't leverage that, regardless of what you're doing, you're an idiot. It's fantastic. Yeah. NFL teams use it like there's no level of NFL fan that couldn't benefit from this. Um, you talked a lot about looking at how, you know, what are their fundamentals in their past sets? Yeah. And um, when we, you know, are using a mathematical model to project things, that is something that it doesn't, it's not explicitly seen by the model, right? So if a guy can get by mm-hmm. and perform really well with poor pass sets, he's still going to grade well in our system. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Is there a guy who maybe is on the flip side of that who didn't grade as well, but but you have him higher because of how good he looks on film doing what he does? <laughs> That's a good question. I will say um like is so Jed, is Jedrick Wills that guy? Yeah, I guess Jedrick Wills is probably that guy. Like he didn't have a great pass protection grade this mm-hmm. past year. It, it was good, but I, I think you see just the explosiveness and you see the rawness in his past sets in terms of like his feet can be cleaned up fairly easily. Like he has all the athleticism to do the things you need to do at tackle. And that's kind of Ezra Cleveland too. Like he didn't have great grades. If you're adjust for competition, like he was only like around 80 what was it, 82 or something past blocking grade this last year, but that's at Boise state. You're, you shouldn't be losing. You should be looking like Josh Jones. If you're a real deal, first round type of prospect against lesser competition. But I do think that both of those guys have just, uh, you know, half of pass protection is can you mirror 
a 250 pound guy who's running a four, four. And those guys can, and those guys have no issues with that whatsoever. And with everyone at offensive tackle, even the best guys in this class have so far to come in terms of pass protecting at the NFL level. Like you, you see if you have that high base to work with, you don't have to go as far in terms of the technical mm-hmm. aspect. Like you only need to get a little bit and then you feel more comfortable yeah. about those guys. Yeah. Wills was a guy that did not look yeah. nearly as good in our projections. and was one that we really struggled with mm-hmm. because of what you, you know, your assessment was. I think it's, it's fascinating. Okay. We have a couple more questions. We're going to run through these kind of quick. Let's talk about the interior. Derek Brown, um, Javon Kinlaw guys that you've mocked in the first round. Yes. I don't know what your next mock is going to look like, but are you still taking those guys in the first? Yes. Also, Mooty, like a guard. Sure. Look at we the other side of the ball, too. I think they're that good in terms of defensive tackle prospects that we've seen in recent years. And what is that I've come good, around. What does that good mean? Meaning that, like, um, you feel that there will be. Like Fletcher Cox, floor, Aaron Donald. They have a high floor. Like, okay. that, that, like, high floor. Like, when it's all said and done, they will be the top 32 in this draft class in terms of war at. Is how I like act, okay. is how I like think about like that. Yes, they might not be like there will be guys drafted later than them that will be better, but I, I feel they both have pretty high floors in terms of uh, when it's all said and done, they will be top thirty-two players in this draft class. And at that end of the day, like you can chase upside, you can chase other positions, but if you if you get a guy like that, you're probably going to be solid. And I've kind of come around on run defense for defensive tackles, especially with you know war if teams are still running, stopping the run still has a ton of value. Um, and so that's how you come back from, you know, when you're down 14, you yeah. stop the run and <laughs> yeah. the ball back. Yeah. That, that, yes. I mean, it yeah. is a good point to what you're saying. It's like we sometimes make, you know, George and I sometimes will make assumptions about, False. okay, if the league were optimal, this would this would not matter. And to your point, defensively, you don't get the chance to dictate what an offense does. So there are going to be teams that run too much on you. And if you can't stop it. It's not as bad as teams passing on you and you're not being able to stop it, but there is some value in being able to hold serve as as a defense in run defense. It's just it's not as valuable as nearly everybody thinks. The, I mean, here's what I think the way I think of it. If I am a fan of one of these teams and they take a defensive tackle in the first round, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm I tuned in for this. I guess I, it depends on where you're at as a franchise and who's on the board, but like a top 10 in this class, no, I'm not taking either of these guys. Uh, you talk to me like if you're you know, in the non- Vikings and one of those are sitting so there for you, uh, I'd probably take them. If you're a non-playoff team, to me, it's like I need to make a move that is that is that is dramatic because I'm I'm trying to make the, the playoffs here. And theoretically, if I'm like 10 through 24 ish, mm-hmm. I've got some players, a quarterback, maybe that I feel decent about. <laughs> and it's like, is defensive tackle really? The piece, like I can go sign a guy who can, you know, be a decent run stop. And, and there's not a good track record of defense tackles coming to the NFL year one and blowing it. Like that's not a position where it usually happens right away because there's such, such like a I mean, different, like the power level difference between I mean, going from 18 year olds you're facing to grown men at those positions is very different. Aaron Donald was fucking amazing. Like the guy was yeah. incredible, and his team was a total disaster. Well, yeah. the, the well, like even JJ are, Watt wasn't like yeah. great though. You're one, yeah, you know, he was solid, but not the, great. The outliers are that are Quentin Nelsons and the Aaron Donalds. But the the old adage that the closer you are to the ball, the harder is it, it is to transition from college to pro or high school to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is ex- extremely true. And then now that we're finding that, that those things are less valuable, is really why our mock draft has you know corners, wide receivers, safeties, you know, playmaking linebackers, and then tackles because. Yeah. You know, be, not only are you making a, a bad bet in the sense that, like, oh, Quinn and Williams is going to be a monster in year one, 
it, the cards are stacked against him by virtue of just how close to the football he is. Yeah. All right, that was decently quick. We'll make this one even quicker. Jalen Hurts, um, he did some things uh, on the football field that mathematically look decent. Yes. Completed some passes above what you'd expect. Um, and I think about a guy like, oh, I don't know, Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. He was taken in, you know, third, fourth, fifth round. You could have picked him anywhere in there and been like, okay, I'm taking a flyer. Why is Hertz different than that? Or do you think that's comparable and that's a guy worth taking a flyer on? I think his accuracy is just worse, purely, you know, anecdotally. Uh, I'll say I, I don't have a number right now to back that up for me, but I think he's worth, his accuracy is worse. And I, I, his just ability to make quick decisions with the football is night and day from, like, what Dak was. Dak like, could throw in rhythm consistently. Jalen Hurts just like that's not been his game mm-hmm. whatsoever at any stop of his career at this point. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you, go ahead. I was going to say um, you can cover that up to a large uh, part with scheme. Yeah, which I, it seemed to be what Oklahoma's doing. Sorry. Yeah, and and it is troubling that you look at Mayfield, Murray. They all had more success as passers than than Hurts did because that would imply like his numbers look lesser, good for us, right? right? But like. And not, you know, his projections, not nearly as good as those two men were. And then the other issue is for me, like I'm looking at him and it has to be a pretty perfect situation in a situation where you can accentuate his running because his running is interesting. His running isn't the Kyler Murray running. It's not the Lamar Jackson. It's the I remember the Baylor game. He literally didn't quite think it's Tyrod Taylor. Like it's a little different than that. He's delivering hits when he's running the football. He's more Cam Newton for sure. I mean, and he's not Cam Newton. And and people like I, I would say, give him a try at quarterback. But he is actually somebody who could have some value as a running back because he does run like a running back. It's not like one of those. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, it's not one of those, it's not one of those Lamar Jackson, you well, know, what if you put him I, in I running think back? If you are like the Ravens and he's there in the third round, you that's well worth yeah. just yeah. in terms of like backup quarterback value, because that's the situation exactly. he would need to be in. To and they're smart enough to be able to figure out a game plan on the fly. So that would, that would make him have the sort of open windows. He'd need to succeed. Taysom Hill part two. Uh, <laughs> all right. You have uh, your guys every year. Yeah. Um, Chris Jones is the first your guy. Yeah, that's one of my first. Give us, uh, give us a little taste. All right, I love, and this is going to be very homerish to me, but I love Julian Aquara from Notre Dame. Two two edge rushers. It's, it's a weak edge class. Julian Aquara, we'll see at the Notre Dame Pro Day. It's freak athletically. He runs hot and cold, but like his hot is as good as anyone's in this draft class. Uh, you know, right? Honestly, right up with Chase Young, like he dominated some games that were just like unblockable uh, because he is physically a freak and has all the length, size, whatever. Like he has this perceived upside that like he has all the tools to win on the edge uh, i will say sir say curtis weaver from boise state uh i think he doesn't look the part whatsoever but his seven second three count is more indicative of the way he wins and if you're projecting the nfl you have to have one way to win i think that like is very very good you, you can't just be all around guy who's like average athlete who does a lot of things well no you have to do something really well that people have to worry about as office tackles he can get to the edge and bend back to the quarterback really well curtis weaver so like him, like Natani Muti, the guard from Fresno State. Uh, I mean, he did 44 reps of the combine. Would you take him in the first round? Probably not. Okay. but Me, me neither. Yeah. Eric really tried to give him to my Niners, and I said, <laughs> you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> but he's, he is a monster. This guy is yeah. fantastic. And then Geno Stone from the safety from Iowa, another one of my guys. He's just he's the most instinctive safety in this class, the guy. He has some incredible plays. There's a play against USC where he breaks on a – breaks on a hitch route for Michael Pittman, dives at the ball, swings, 
misses because the ball didn't even get thrown there. He never looked back to see if the ball was thrown. The ball, the ball was not there. Uh, and then, but just like a play like that, that he trusted himself that much to go dive at a guy who yeah. wasn't even getting thrown the ball. Uh, I'd, tr- I'd, I'll put a, I'll put my pin in a guy like that. All right, there you have it, Mike. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having Thanks, me, folks. Sir. Yeah, it's fun again. We are going to take uh, a quick break to talk to you while Mike subs out for your for your boy Sam Monson, who's outside waiting. Uh, the creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories comes to the next great true crime podcast, I Survived. Every week, I Survived presents chilling first-person accounts from people who overcame deadly situations, allowing the survivors to describe the event as they unfold and how it ma- how they made it out alive. If you love true crime, you are going to love I Survived. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, PodcastOne.com, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you can get all the new episodes Every week, I should also mention um, that, look, there's not a lot of things right now to bet on sports wise. So maybe you're thinking long term uh, and that should give you some time to plan a trip out to Vegas to sign up for the Super Contest. And if you do so, you should go to footballcontest.com. That is the proxy service that we use and they're absolutely fantastic. Super professional. It's not expensive. They make it really easy to do. Um, Go check them out. They are awesome. Sam, what's up, brother? Hey, can I get a uh, Lysol wine? I'm not concerned about Corona. I just don't know where Mike has been. Why, where Mike has been? <laughs> Here, have a, have a Lysol wine. Uh, I would be concerned as well. Now, in, in fairness, I'm using the mic that you usually use oh, yeah? on the NFL show, and I wiped it down. Well, that one's definitely compromised. Right. Yeah. Here's, here's a question before we start talking football again. How, what is the appropriate amount of – because obviously we're kind of joking about this. What's the appropriate amount of joking about a pandemic? Because I, I, feel, don't know. I feel like it's part coping, right? Yep. So that, so it's that, like coping with the fact that there are still people like in this town that are like, try, like that are like out there shaking hands, open with mouth, on the kissing street. other people on the street. And then <laughs> I, I've seen multiple people in Cincinnati who I've never seen before standing on street corners offering free hugs. <laughs> so. And, and I don't know how many of them work for our company, but it's serious because people like will, will legitimately die from this. So it's like, fuck, how do, you, how do you even? Here's what I would say. If you're taking it seriously, then you are allowed to have a little fun with it because mm-hmm. we need comedic relief. We need some things to get us through being quarantined in our homes. Yeah. And that's why we're here. Not today. being able to bet on sports for weeks and months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the real tragedy. That's the real one. I just holding on. Maybe. Well, I, I would imagine I would imagine by end of day today, all the other events will probably be. OK, so this is a good question to start it off. I was sitting there last night watching the NBA wondering what the hell is next i figured it's the ncaa tournament and then i go i'm i'm writing out like our content schedule for the for free agency which right. is a huge week for us and i go oh shit like are they gonna have free agency when we were at the coffee shop i was like how are they gonna do free agent visits and, and granted people are like, oh skype and stuff but like that's like no they like sometimes <laughs> yeah they're not doing that no. like the nfl is gonna be I mean, what do you think, Sam? I think there's a pretty good chance that free agency gets pushed back. I mean, the other thing is, yeah, you're right. These are visits, right? These are a ton of players crisscrossing the nation in planes. Granted, Yeah, granted, they're private planes, and that's going to help, right? But there's still a bunch of people that have to be on those things doing all this stuff. Plus, the optics of you just carrying on business as usual while, like, every other major sport in the world gets canned is not ideal. Well, and the other thing is delaying it. Here's Here's the funny thing about delaying it. It's like... 
what amount of delaying it's actually going to be sufficient. Because if this, unlike our, our colleague who said this would be done in three weeks, it's not going to be done in three weeks. It's going to be, if this thing is real enough and we all believe it is, it's going to be a couple months. And then now we're talking about like being the NBA and having the draft first or what. You know, right. And, and it all sort of, it's not one of those things where if we delay it a week. That's not going to be sufficient. We either go through with it or we don't. And we wait until maybe like August or something to have free agency, could, which could is you, a c- catastrophe. Could you just delay everything and do free agency the week before the draft? I mean, that would be that would make for some awesome content, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the other thing is there's a decent uh, there's a decent portion right now of we don't know what this is going to look like. Yeah. So all we know is that next week free agency with this hanging over would kind of be chaos. Plus bad optics. Right. Let's indefinitely suspend it and then figure out what the lay of the land is in a couple of weeks. And then we can figure out like what the alternatives are, right? Whether it's your Skype visits yeah. to the facility. I mean, we've or, deliberately avoided ever thinking about something like this happening before. And so, <laughs> hence, we're dealing with that right now. I, it's going to be fascinating. Let's talk about free agency, though, as if it will happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. And, Sam, you have been thinking very deeply about the actual performance of free agents for a long time since before either of us were at this company. Right. Do you ever feel as though going into free agency, okay, free agency is going to, it has a legit chance to save a franchise. Like, is that, is that ever your feeling? Uh, probably not because I mean, the only way of really saving a franchise is with a quarterback, right? And the chances of you very rarely hit franchise defining quarterbacks in free agency at all. They just don't, hit the open market now this year might be because so is this the first year right because you've got a tom brady you've got a couple of people out there that could potentially be franchise altering options at quarterback in a way that you just don't see oh, a couple well so i think philip rivers could alter a franchise with for a year or two hmm. right and brady obviously is a short-term option as well i think there there are options out there that could potentially change the direction of franchises, particularly because I think unusually there's a couple of teams in the NFL right now that kind of are a quarterback away from yeah. being good. That's what I was going to say. Like if the Colts weren't there and you were like, okay, Phillip Rivers is going to go, you know, to a Chargers-esque team. Right. You'd be like, All right, well, that's not changing this, anything, yeah. right? But the, the difference between a Jacoby Brissett and a Phillip Rivers could easily propel the Colts into the playoffs. The same thing with Chicago, right? You replace Trubisky with anybody – Viable. Us three. Yeah. And suddenly you've got a team that can actually go back to the postseason and contend again. So, yeah, I think this is it's a weird year in terms of quarterback availability and teams that are kind of in the quarterback market and wouldn't necessarily want to do it in the draft and, and try and contend in day one with a rookie. When I think about Philip Rivers, I kind of, it kind of reminds me of Brett Favre a little bit in the sense that when Favre went to the Jets, his final season looked really bad down the stretch. He had bad arm strength. He threw a lot of interceptions. And he clearly, at that point in time, didn't want to be there anymore. He goes to Minnesota. He gets rejuvenated, right? Like, Rivers kind of had a really bad year last year. And he was like, his arm strength didn't look good. The offense that he ran didn't look great. And yet, at the same time, like, he goes to somewhere like Indianapolis and and it sort of builds his strengths and and works with him. Uh, I think it, it, the results could could even be better than what Favre had because he'll probably have even like training camp and all that stuff that Favre never did. To me, the thing with these old quarterbacks, and in particular uh, Rivers and Brady, is that I think they can both still play, but they've reached a point in their careers where they need more help than they did before. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, 
like Rivers, it's pass protection, right? The Chargers have spent a decade plus completely unable to ever put a passable offensive line in front of Philip Rivers. And he's had years where that was a problem, and yet he wasn't able to overcome just how bad the offensive line was. And then he's had years where he was able to. He was able to rise above the disastrous collection of pass blockers in front of him and play really well. I think his ability to do that now is just, it's not there anymore. So if you're going to get good Phillip Rivers, you need to put a certain level of offensive line in front of him. And I think the same thing is probably true with Tom Brady and it extends to the wide receivers as well. Like Brady, the days where Brady could take random five collection of receivers that nobody else would give the time of day to and take them to a Super Bowl, that's gone. That's not happening anymore. But you give Brady some guys that can get open, he can still play among the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Do you think, because I have this idea in my head that Brady is really, everyone says he's the first domino. But I almost see it as that's not the case. We don't know the first domino is, only Brady does. Because Brady's sitting there and going, I know that I need a receiver to get open so I can throw them the ball. Right. And either the Patriots are going to get one or some other team is going to have one. And that's where I'm going to target. Who is that guy? Like, is it Amari Cooper? I mean, it it should be right. There's some teams out there that have the kind of cap space that can go after Amari Cooper. And a couple of those make some sense for Brady. Um, I I think for him, for the Patriots, it's such an interesting dynamic, right? Because there's a bunch of things that are kind of waiting for other things to happen. So the Patriots somehow need to convince Tom Brady to come back. And the only way they can do that is by proving to him that they're willing to invest in the areas that were bad. Yeah. But and that just doesn't seem their style. They don't seem desperate ever. That for too. But also, is Brady going to sit around and wait until that happens? Or well, he and he can't really. I mean, it would cost them an extra six and a half million if he doesn't sign kind of right at the moment. I mean, right. pen, pending when free agency <laughs> yeah, happens. Yeah. Well, like it, for them to be fiscally responsible, he's going to have to actually sign right at that moment. So that would mean they kind of have to get everything, all their ducks in a row. Right. And have all these pieces fall into place. I wonder if, you know, who are the second tier guys? on? So I wonder about like an, a Robbie Anderson, for example. Mm-hmm. That's a guy that isn't going to command as much. He can get downfield, something they haven't had at all. If he, if the Patriots can lure him, you know, up the road from from where he is currently, does that does that help enough? Yeah, well, so I think it definitely helps, whether it helps enough to convince Brady that it's enough. Because part of the thing with the Patriots, right, is that I'm sure they are going to be looking at the, their in-house options and expecting them to be better in 2020 than they were in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. You had Julian Edelman. He was hurt for some of the year. You had Mohamed Sanu, who was hurt much of the year. Nikhil Harry missed most of his rookie year and was a rookie and was, and was a first-round pick. Yeah. So I don't like Nikhil Harry at all in terms of a draft pick. I think... The, the idea that he was the guy that tempted the Patriots back into the first round for a receiver hilarious. blows my mind. But if they if he was, you know, they have to be assuming that Nikhil Harry is better than he showed last year. So that's now three guys in-house that you expect to be better than a year ago. None of them would be convincing Tom Brady to do anything, though. There's a there's a like a significant chance that the Patriots think that they if they just get a tight end, the right. offense would be better. Right. I mean, like. And I think that that's probably unconvincing to Brady. I agree. So they, the thing is, they might not be wrong, but is it enough to convince Tom Brady that he should come back for one more go around? And to their, and to the, that point, like if you're thinking long term about the Patriots, you that might be the better decision to make, which is to ride it out with some of the players they have. Use, I mean, they had what five compensatory picks, two in the third round, if I remember correctly. Like maybe it's just time to rebuild and, and maybe so the, and that, that's like the sort of part we're missing. We talked about this the other day. 
the Patriots haven't made an offer to Brady. <laughs> like, you this know, is, this is two way. I, right. You know. This is why I've been saying kind of all the way along that it feels like the time they're going to separate. Right. Yeah. I think for both sides, it kind of makes some sense. I also think on a personal level, you know, this has been what almost 20 years of which guy is responsible for this dynasty. I think both individuals, Belichick and Brady want the chance to prove that it's them, not the other one. So I think Brady would love nothing more than to go somewhere else and stick it to the Patriots for a year. And I think Belichick wants to prove that he can do it without Brady. Okay, I disagree. I think it's close to that, <laughs> but it's not quite that. It's they both they both want a little bit. They both want some of the credit. Mm-hmm. Brady, to me, is sitting there going, I just want a little bit more respect <laughs> like I've been a part of this relationship for this long time and I've just continually said, look, I don't I don't need to be respected, you know, pay me whatever. But now I'm old and I I think he really wants to come back. It's just that he needs just a little like a little budge. Yeah, to me it just seems like an odd time to start to care about that stuff, right? Yeah. Like if you were willing to take the the relative hometown discount, right? It's not like he's been doing this for $5 million a year because he could. Like, he's taken a, a bit of a discount, which has enabled him to get, like, an extra slot receiver a year, right? Which is useful, but it's not like it's franchise-defining. Yeah. So, I, I, to if me, he was willing to do that all along, why would you suddenly be like, look, unless you're willing to be out there, pay me as the best quarterback in the NFL, you know, make it visually so that it's all me. <laughs> like, why, why am I coming back? Yeah, it's almost, it's Kobe Bryant-esque. It's like asking for to be paid as the best player in the NFL because you were the best player right. at one point and you're not anymore. And I'm not sure that he's that oblivious to the truth. I would like to think that he's a little more cognizant of his current space. And when it comes down to it, to me, he's got to say, where can I win? And it's certainly with the Patriots. If they are better, it's got to be super hard to go into a place that's totally new and acclimate to that. And if it takes two to three years, like he doesn't have that. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's why, you know, we've seen that, you know, Tampa Bay is making a run at him, right, it looks like. And that's one of those places where, you know, you don't actually have to supplement that team with additional receiving talent. I mean, the sure. only the only adjustment that they have to make is probably targeting O.J. Howard more. But, like, Evans and Godwin are the best receiving duo in the league. The offensive line is passable. They have a, as good of a, you know, offensive line as the Patriots had last year. And, you know, that's a and their defense was and I I didn't realize this until I wrote the article about defensive play callers. The defense was top ten in the league in EPA allowed and yards per play allowed. That that that's the spot, right? I mean, and and they have eighty million in you know in cap space. They started to get really good on defense towards the back end of the year. Yeah. Like all those young guys started to make a ton of plays right. on the football. Started to become really good looking coverage defenders. They that defense is definitely moving in the right direction. They're a team, I think. So we took the rover six and a half. I, even if they were to retain Jameis I still think we'd bet they're over because they're one of those teams where the periphery doesn't look good they were I think 28th in points allowed but almost all that was because Jameis would throw interceptions <laughs> like they would get stuck at 14 nothing or something but defensively they were solid and we gave them a ton of praise for drafting you know coverage linebacker and then DB 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 and then you know they got rid of Vernon Hargraves who stinks and then you know now you got you know Todd Bowles in the mix a good play caller Bruce Arians I 
I don't. I think Bruce Arians is smart enough also to adjust w- what he does to Brady. And to Brady's credit, he's improved substantially as a deep ball thrower, probably since you wrote that article about him being done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, he, I mean, that seemed to change a lot of things. Yeah. In Brady's game. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't think you were wrong, actually, but he just all, fundamentally altered his game. He right? really did. Yeah. There is no way in hell that Tom Brady is going to move to Tampa. Tampa is like an underrated stop. Stop it. No, it's not. I think you're letting I think you're letting and granted you have great taste, but you're you're letting your taste alter your analysis. You're letting your taste or lack thereof alter (laughs) your opinion of underrated. So so he's he's not going to because like. Come on. Better, Sam, back me up on this. This is better, ridiculous. It better, might be underrated, but it's still not good. Better I mean, weather? They play in monsoons twice a year. Yeah, but they but Brady plays in the cold. Like Steve Steve like it's football weather. Steve waxes poetic daily about how Brady, how good Brady is throwing outdoors. T- Tampa is an underrated city is the most ridiculous thing you've ever said. <laughs> it's mean, by virtue under it's by definition underrated because no one likes it. There you go. So I think there's a reasonable chance that it's both underrated and still bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you <laughs> That's ridiculous. I, look, if <sighs> I mean, lure Jeff Garcia. Once. Okay, where, <laughs> lure Jeff Garcia. Sam, where do you think he ends up? Where do I think he ends up? So, I, the I would love to see him in a couple of spots, and they're the teams we've kind of already mentioned in terms of being a quarterback away from attending. I can you imagine him in Indianapolis? That has a lot of things going for it. One, uh, no, I actually can't see, imagine him George, in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is worse than <laughs> Getting Tampa Bay. Burnt to a crisp steaks at St. Elmo's. It's uh, it's not necessarily. Yeah, it's not it's not the Hollywood lifestyle that he's no, going to for. But it has a team that has one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. They've got a receiving weapon. Let's say they can add more. They've got space to do it. They've got the the draft and free agency coming up to make that happen. And they're inside, you know, as much as, again, indoors, outdoors, it doesn't matter that much. But when you're talking about a 42-year-old who starts to need more help than he did before, Mm -hmm. I would say that moves a needle in terms of what he can achieve. So the Colts, I think, would be a fantastic fit for him. I've always kind of liked the Chargers, but they, the same problem Rivers had, Brady would now have, right? Can he play behind that offensive line? And can they fix that offensive line? Because they've shown no evidence that they can in you know 15 years so that would be an issue that at least gives you the la lifestyle that, that he's going to want and receivers that can get open that too yeah which i think an underrated component of avoiding pressure is having guys that are open that yes. you can get the ball to i mean, I mean that mean, was that was new england this year yeah. right is that a lot of people were saying the offensive line was so much worse brady was so much worse it's all down to the receivers you yeah. start looking at it brady held on to the ball longer than he ever has before because nobody was getting open he was worse under pressure than he ever was before because even when he held on to the ball till the point the pressure was there, nobody was open. So he still had nowhere to go with it. Like the whole thing stems from the fact that he had no receivers. You fix that and immediately the offensive line is dramatically better. Okay. So you actually have to bet on this now. Okay. Who, who was he going to end up playing with? I'm going, I, I'm going with the Colts. Okay. I think the Rivers thing is, is a smokescreen, or not a smokescreen, just ill-advised. All the reasons that people are saying Rivers to the Colts I, apply to Brady, too. I like that because it falls in line with my thought that he really cares about winning more than anything else. And right. I would agree that that's a good place to win. And Eric, I think, I think for that reason, that? I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. <laughs> and here's why. Our Falcons, probably not going to be good again. Saints. Another there's going to be one season where the Saints fall off the table. This could be it. (laughs) And Carolina is rebuilding. So he you know, it's one of those 
where and the Colts have this going for them too. But Brady taking a team that had a losing record in this season and elevating them to being good. Uh, and to our point the other day when we talked about Dallas, the NFC is wide open. Okay. Uh, he is going to end up back with the Patriots. But if he were to go anywhere, the place that he would go is Dallas. Dallas. But you, So you think Dallas would punt on getting Dak Prescott signed long-term to snack Brady for like for the four, one? Yeah, for $40 million? Yeah, for like one year mm-hmm. to just to finally, get, to finally get the playoff monkey Look, off their back. Sh- the world's going crazy, man. We don't know how it many is, years we have true. left, so you might might need to play for now. All right, we talked about Brady for way longer than I anticipated. So let's get out of here on a couple of more kind of quick ones. There's going to be some players that are signed where you're just going to go, what the fuck just happened? Who are like the top three? I mean, any of the edge rushers are kind of like that, right? In, in, on paper, it looks like a great group of edge rushers in free agency. There's a lot of guys with a lot of sacks, a lot of pressure even, but almost all of them have giant red flags screaming with, for something or other, right? Whether it's a huge proportion of their pressure was unblocked or clean up. That's like a Matthew Judon, um, a Marcus Golden, Dante Fowler. Um, whether it's a disproportionate amount of their pressure ended up in sacks. You know, sometimes it's wings and you end up with Shaq Barrett, Barrett yeah. who is a good pass rusher, suddenly becomes the NFL sack leader. And, you know, Bruce Arians like, we're keeping that guy around because he's the sack leader. Yeah, you don't stumble across those guys ever no. and again. It's like, Never no, you do. don't. And you won't again with Shaq Barrett. Like, it just happened randomly last year. It's not going to happen again. Um, or whether it's just, you know, they're good, not great. Guys like Jadevian Clowney, who I think is still sort of riding this wave of like the Michigan hit in college, right? Yeah, it's yeah, this for sure. physical freak. And then every now and again, on Monday Night Football, he takes over a game because somebody's playing their backup left tackle. It's like, this guy's incredible. Like, well, not all the time he isn't. And you're going to need to pay him like that's the case. So any of those guys, I think there's going to be a monster deal somewhere for you, someone. Here's a great – I think you bring up something that is a great point, which is do you think teams are – most teams are wise about pressure? Because you're all these guys that have gotten to free agency – are clearly there because their teams have not done the due diligence, you know, haven't done what's necessary to keep them. They're not like, you know, some of these guys who get, you know, Marcus Lawrence gets a huge deal from Dallas, uh, you know, all, you know, X, Y, and Z. Do you think teams, do you think teams know what you just said? Like mm-hmm. they know intuitively, like, Hey, this guy's getting a bunch of cleanup stuff and hence isn't as valuable as maybe the periphery stats would indicate. No, I actually think generally the, the whole dynamics with sacks pressure and how the, the, the quality of each of those, even within the same statistic, I think teams are generally way behind on. Like, again, the idea that a guy can stumble into 20 sacks a season and somebody thinks that materially changes what he is as a player is crazy. Even then, you know, so we've said for years that you should be focusing on pressure rather than the sack number. It's just, it's a bigger sample size. It's a more indicative figure. But even within that, right, we know that they're they're not all the same, right? You can have a pressure where you you split a double team and whoop a guy in one, one and a half seconds and you're you're the guy that destroyed the play or you can have a sack where the guy just sort of stumbled into you you know the stray hand sack right where Brett Favre just gives it up and you tap <laughs> him down it, it, on in theory the sack is a better play for the defense but qualitatively the pressure was significantly better yeah you wrote a br- really nice article talking about running backs and like don't pay running backs here are the myriad of reasons why and to me, the reason that people, I think people are coming around to it, but 
there's it's always hard to synthesize the reasons in a way that like anyone can understand. That's I, I think a real struggle for for anyone out there that's trying to explain a nuanced concept. If you had like sixty seconds and you could, you could give one reason that would try and convince someone like don't pay Derrick Henry a ton of money. Yeah, what would it be? I mean, I think it would be a quick sort of threefold thing, right? One. Running backs are being shown time and time again to be more a product of their environment than they are the driving force behind the, the statistics, the production. Two, rookie running backs hit the ground running unlike any other position in the NFL. So it's the time to get them, right? And then three, like the second any of those things change, the second the uh, the environment around him changes, the production is not going to replicate itself. So if you remove the blocking from Derrick Henry, or you remove the Ryan Tannehill from Derrick Henry, who was playing so well last year, including like if Ryan Tannehill comes back and doesn't play the way Ryan Tannehill played, Henry's production is going to drop off. And it was like it was he was 11th in the league in rushing, averaging 3.7 yards per carry when Mariota was the quarterback. Tannehill comes in, everything changes. The offensive line also got better, but it's they're not the thing driving running back production. And it's sad because like everybody loves watching guys carry the ball, right? Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's a, it's a fun part of football and they might be the most sort of physically abused players in the NFL in terms of like just getting beat down every single play. So if anyone deserves in, in quotation marks to be paid, it's running backs, but all the data points you can pull, just, they just say it, it shouldn't happen. It's a waste of resources that should go elsewhere. We chase impressiveness uh, in place of value in right. this position. And Derrick Henry was impressive last year, but ultimately speaking, not valuable until the table was set for him. Yeah. yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy. All right. Uh, on the flip side of this, players that you would be, if your team were to sign them, I'm not saying necessarily the Vikings, but like your team were to sign them. My hypothetical be, team. Yeah. You'd be happy about that signing. So I think the value in free agency is always in the second wave and the bargain basement and the, the guys that for whatever reason crapped out of their, their mm -hmm. previous team, right? There's a lot of reasons where, where players, um, for whatever reason, just don't succeed in the first, uh, the first instance. And a lot of it also is, is where perception changes, right? If you're a first-round pick and you became a solid player, a lot of teams are unhappy with that because he wasn't the superstar they thought right. he was when they drafted him. But if you're the second team going, well, if this guy's available for peanuts, I'll quite happily take a solid player for yeah. a, a bargain contract. So I think there's a ton of those guys, you know, reclamation project guys. I'm, I'm massively intrigued by Brashad Perriman. Oh, interesting. What he saw at the tail end of last season when he basically became a starter for the Bucs. Mm -hmm. Three back-to-back 100-yard -back receiving games didn't drop a pass during that time. And that had been like the blight in his career earlier. He's still big. He's still fast. He's still young. Like the reasons he was a first round pick all still apply. And we finally saw him actually be a productive. That, that's receiver. the first time I've even heard his name. Well, and, and receivers are a position that sometimes take a, a lot longer to develop, especially now in the league where if you find a, a coach that will put you in the right position and don't force you. Uh, to be everything to everyone, you can you can have some value. Are you telling me that Joe Flacco wasn't the guy that would get the most value out of his receivers? That's ridiculous. well, he will get a lot of uh, pass interference calls out of them. That's what that's what Joe Flacco will do. For you got to throw it remotely in bounds. Um, any, anyone else that uh, undercover? Yeah. So names? again, for for 
different reasons with the same idea, the bargain basement, you get the old guys, right? So if you have a problem on your offensive line, you've got Jason Peters, you've got Andrew Whitworth. These are guys that are definitely at the very tail end of their career. They're the Tom Brady of offensive yeah. line, right? You Maybe they fix. go with Tom Brady Maybe to L.A. To L.A., yeah, they, they would definitely repair the Chargers' left tackle spot for a season. Or, you know, a team like the Browns, right? If you're now in a spot where you don't know what Baker Mayfield is anymore. True. You thought he was the answer, and now it's like, oh, crap, did we get that wrong? Is he actually a bad quarterback? Let's start eliminating variables, right? Let's replace Greg Robinson as 157 pounds a He's week. He's pretty variable. With, with a solid left tackle. Let's, let's eliminate that question. Now at least we know it's all on Baker, and yeah. we can figure out what he is. I like that. I really like the idea of going after players where you're not you don't have to spend all your cap. Right. You have to draft all the players in the draft and you should. But you don't have to spend all the money that you have in cap space. And I think that's a really shrewd way to build your team. So to kind of circle back, this isn't about saving your franchise. It's about something that we've talked a ton about, which is establishing depth. Yeah. Defensively at positions where you normally would have to pay a really high price to get premium play, but where average play is perfectly fine and you can win with it, such as at the tackle position. I want to get you out of here on this. Eric has propositioned me Hmm. about the potential of a Kirk Cousins for Jimmy G trade. Wow. And uh, I would be sick. (laughs) You and Eric both would look at it from the Vikings point of view. Would you see that as an upgrade? So this is, this is current contract situations or this just players in a vacuum. Yeah. Forget the contracts for a second. Okay. I think that last season, Kirk cousins was a better quarterback than Jimmy G. I have zero confidence in that being true going forward. I would be devastated. I can root for Jimmy G. I I could not the, root for the Kirk issue. Cousins. The issue here, and there are people. The majority of the people that interact with me on Twitter after I put this out there said unequivocally, Cousins is better than Jimmy G, which I think is a little bit of of recency bias. Yeah, and that Cousins played amount. played extremely well for a month of last season, and then had a good playoff game against New Orleans. But I do think, like fundamentally, they're about the same. And then it comes down to exactly what you're. Your biggest issue isn't with Cousins, the player, his arm strength. He's got a better arm than Jimmy G. He's probably more accurate, handles pressure about the same. It's the fact that, like, and this is something we can't quantify analytically. They just, people just don't respect Kirk Cousins. Yeah, neither do I. I, Like, the most Kirk Cousins thing ever, though, was that video that Chris Sims posted of him at the Super Bowl giving, like, uh, giving the special handshake to, like, everybody that sat down, you know, the, the thumbs, the fist bumps, yeah. everything, right? And then Kirk Cousins was the only guy there all week who gave him like a simple businessman's handshake. That's Kirk Cousins in a nutshell. Yeah. Here's here's the way I would put it. I think their their play on balance, it's about the same. But if I'm going into if I'm going on the road to play a team in the playoffs, I'm not even watching the game with Kirk Cousins. Like I'm just not. And I know they beat the Saints. I get it. I just have zero faith in him, and I think Jimmy G at least gives you a shot. Yeah, and there are people. I think I think that people are are right to point out the fact that some like Jimmy G's appearance and Jimmy G's like demeanor is giving him some edge that is transcending on the field. But I don't like having all of us have played sports before. Like there, that's kind of real. I mean, if you go into the huddle and you don't believe that somebody can get something done, yes, then it's then it's tougher. I We've think. all played with those guys who are like the star on the team, but you just know that like. 
this guy's kind of a doofus and a loser. And when it comes down to it, he's going to will. Or, or conversely, a, a person who's like, you know, a, per, a player who like, well, you know, you know that no matter what, they're going to give it, you know, they're going to transcend it. And I don't, I think that there's a little bit of like people just think Kirk's a businessman. Well, Cousins and, also does that. So he has these brain farts that most other quarterbacks don't have. Not in terms of like, oh, that's a bad decision. I've thrown the ball to a linebacker. I, you know, I, I didn't see him or I misread the coverage. It's like something happened in his head and he just spasmed and threw a backwards lateral. You mean like you mean like kneeling instead of spiking? Yeah. Or kneeling instead of spiking. Like when you press the wrong button in Madden, like somebody controlling Kirk Cousins, all the switches in his brain every now and again, just short circuits. And he does the things that are like, okay, come on. You can't like one of those in a career is an embarrassment, right? One of these season is like, there's a problem and there's and there's probably the the something to the fact that grapple is a little bit younger uh he has less experience there's probably a higher ceiling there um it is troubling that the niners took the ball out of his hands for a decent amount of the playoffs but they could because they were ahead so it wasn't a uh you know it wasn't overtly hey he sucks so we're not going to like throw the ball that much he had a really good three quarters of a super bowl which cousins has never had anywhere near so it's interesting. I think I think so, I think Vikings fans, ones that I've talked to, would welcome it if they traded them straight up. And your reaction to it, because I respect your opinion, is such that I'm going to be I'm going to be a little bit more towards the Jimmy G side. But knowing everything that you know, if you put things perfectly into Cousins and then you tell him not to think, he's probably better. <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> that sums it up perfectly, Samuel. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. It makes it very fun. Thanks for having me. I'm not going to give you a high five or shake your hand, but no, we're going to hand you a Lysol wipe on right now. (laughs) Perfect. All righty. Sam Monson from the PFF NFL show, which you can watch in about five minutes. So you might want to stay. Well, not on the same channel, but like you get the idea. Um, What was the most interesting thing? So I want to go like interview at a time real quick. Most interesting thing uh, from talking to Mike. Uh, and now we're awkwardly close to each other. Yeah, so it's, okay. Lean back it's, it's okay. Yeah, um, uh, I I liked that he that he leaned in a little bit to the war stuff about running the football. I thought that that was a a very reasonable way to to say this is why I like players on the interior of the defense. And I don't necessarily agree a hundred percent with it because if the league evolves, then you're stuck with this player that's not mm-hmm. valuable. But it was a reasonable, I think, answer to a question that I thought, you know, he was going to have a different answer to than we would. Yeah. Uh, Mike is, you know, Mike works super hard and, and watches, you know, he, he uses the grading and also makes sure to add every bit of context that he can to, you know, the grading by going back and watching all the players. And so when he talks about, you know, a guy like Jerry Judy and has him as his number one guy, it, it really means a lot. And I think, you know, the fact that he's so confident he can win from the outside is interesting uh, because he certainly did it at Alabama. But there's also this, you know, just this big athleticism difference be- between him and Henry Ruggs and how that translates. I thought that was very interesting. I also I, I think the most interesting thing, though, was his offensive tackle tiers because um, they were more different, I think, uh, than our opinions on wide receivers and having Mekhi Becton. Um, that high was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's always going to be with people who watch film, there's always going to be a an attachment to seeing something. And it's not even seeing something once. It's seeing something that's repetitive, but not a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So you've seen this guy do this thing 10 times. So can this guy do it 500 times during a season? 
And I think, you know, to Mike's point, Becton has that kind of stuff. He's also six, seven, three forty or whatever. So like there's, there is a lot there, there. And, you know, guys like us are just going to say, okay, well, we'll, we'll make that bet. If we get the opportunity to, in the second round, yep. we're not going to make that bet in the first round where stakes are higher. So I, yeah, I, I, I did think that was interesting as well. Um, I thought Ben Barch being, because yeah, it's really hard to model. It's really hard to model division three. Um, because the, I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now, the, the competition level, you just can't simulate that. that. Joke. So, and, and, you know, we have a hard time modeling it because we literally, it's a situation where it's been a, a, a equals one, you know, type of thing for us in terms of offensive linemen. But it was interesting that he said that he liked him. Um, he also likes the Kyle Duggar guy as a safety film, Lenore Ryan, which I, Again, it's sort of one of those where you have I have to trust somebody like Mike because I our numbers, you know, just we don't have enough, you know, film, uh, you know, to to grade all those players and all that kind of stuff and, and hence model them from from Sam. I, the Prashad Perryman thing was not something that I had thought about. And it reminded me of if you're looking at, you know, if Tom Brady and the Patriots are like, how do I replenish this receiving core? It reminded me that you may be able to look. You know, you don't have to necessarily look at at those top guys. I'm still not sure that gets it done. But that's a piece where if you are just looking to add some depth to your receiving core, I got, that's that's the type of signing you're looking for. If you are, you know, a fan of a team out there, you are not looking for let's break the bank on some guy, uh, some edge rusher, for example. Yeah. And we look at that when you start when stars are acquired, it's rarely ever. You know, I, okay, let's circle back here. Like, Khalil Mack was acquired in the trade, but like the Bears franchise isn't fundamentally better than it was when they acquired him. True. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is another one. Like, again, these are trades, but like it, it does project into, you yeah. know, no, that's fair. And, and, and depth is important. And, 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 you know, and this is the time of year where that, I think that that knowledge needs to be heated. I would agree. All righty. Uh, stay healthy and safe out there as long as we are able to keep recording. It might become remote at some point. Yeah. But we're going to make it happen for you, try and get you guys some content out there. Uh, we will be back with you in one way, shape, or form on Monday. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.